You know what I just did? I just walked out that door, saw a couple detectives, and I was about to start bad-mouthing you behind your back. But I stopped myself because my pops taught me that a man who talks behind somebody's back is a coward. Wow, I actually appreciate that. Good, because I'm gonna tell you directly to your face. No, you don't have to. No, I don't like you. I think you're a fake cop. The sound of your piss hitting the urinal? It sounds feminine. Mm -hmm. If we were in the wild, I would attack you. Even if you weren't in my food chain, I would go out of my way to attack you. If I were a lion and you were a tuna, I would swim out in the middle of the ocean and freaking eat you! And then I'd bang your tuna girlfriend. Okay, first off, a lion swimming in the ocean? Lions don't like water. If you'd placed it near a river or some sort of fresh water source, that makes sense. But you find yourself in the ocean, 20-foot waves, I'm assuming it's off the coast of South Africa, coming up against a full-grown 800-pound tuna with his 20 or 30 friends, you lose that battle. You lose that battle nine times out of 10. And guess what? You've wandered into our school of tuna, and we now have a taste of lion. We've talked to ourselves. We've communicated yeah. and said, you know what? Lion tastes good. Let's go get some more lion. We've developed a system to establish a beachhead and aggressively hunt you and your family. And we will corner your, your pride, your children, your offspring. How are you going to do that? We will construct a series of breathing apparatus with kelp. We will be able to trap certain amounts of oxygen. It's not gonna be days at a time, but an hour, hour 45, no problem. That will give us enough time to figure out where you live, go back to the sea, get more oxygen, and then stalk you. You just lost your own game. You're outgunned and outmanned. Did that go the way you thought it was gonna go? Nope. Lifers Podcast with Scott Lucas, Gabe Rodriguez, and Ben Reiser. And now, here's Scott, Gabe, and Ben. So, Ben, tell us about Ben Reiser's big Jimmy Flemian adventure that you had last weekend. Yeah, it was great, man. Saturday night. That was a wild night for me. Not wild. Man, you but... were you were you were a man about town. I was. I uh it was my second night in a row seeing Jimmy. So you saw Jimmy in Milwaukee. Saw Jimmy in Milwaukee. And it was a hoot. Great you know, show. You great told me you played over show. two hours. So then you yes, go home. Yes, he did. You go home. <laughs> you, well, you, okay. I'll tell okay. you what. So I, I walked into the club in Milwaukee on Friday night and I saw, and Jimmy was sitting, Jimmy sits at like the merch table before the show. Before the show. albums. Before the show. Yeah. I he did that on that. Saturday night too. No. Yes, he did. Uh, but I walked up to him and I said, hey, I'm Ben. I talked to you the other night on the podcast and he was like, uh, you know, <laughs> it barely registered. Um <laughs> And it was just as awkward as any other interaction I'd ever had with Jimmy at frog shows in the past or any rock star, really. Anytime I see somebody that I'm 
a fan of. I immediately have nothing to say. It's always awkward. Oh, so you're saying it was you. It wasn't Jimmy. I, I mean... You were the awkward part of this. No, 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 no. Jimmy's definitely Cookie. always the awkward one, but I am too. I mean, I... <coughs> okay. I, I had a bad encounter with Joe Jackson at a record store. I had a terrible encounter with Bob Mould one night at a club. Uh, I've had terrible you should just interactions. Stop talking to, you should stop I, I talking know. to people in bands. What are you doing? I should. I don't How know do what I'm doing. you think this is ever show? going to get better? <laughs> it's, it's not. Well, okay, wait, I'm not done with my story. So anyway, so that was Friday Night with Jimmy. He played a great show, played over two hours. The audience was eating it up. They were like really rallying behind him. It was very emotional. He, he talks about his brother, Dennis, who died in this terrible like yep. swimming accident 15 years yeah. ago. And, you know, he's never been the same. I mean, those were guys that, you know, their whole lives were intertwined. I mean, their whole identity mm. was that band and they did, did everything together. So I think he's been, I think it's taken him this long to sort of try to get over that loss. But he had a lot of people in the crowd that night who were cheering him on. He was singing songs about Dennis. He sang a song that he said Eddie Vedder wrote about Dennis. All sorts of stuff went on. It was great. I bought yeah, a those songs of about Dennis were him. those songs about Dennis were pretty, pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, so then Saturday came to Chicago to see. So I drove back from Milwaukee, spent the day in Madison working on film festival crap. Drove to set. Drove to Chicago on Saturday. Got got to but that. The next club. day it was snowing. It was snowing. Oh, that's when right. You woke up. I woke up Saturday morning and there were 10 inches of snow on the ground in Madison. <laughs> I had gotten home the night before, like two in the morning, and there was no snow. I don't know when this snow, it all just dropped in like one big. Right. So everything was fucked up on Saturday. But by the time I was leaving for Chicago, all the snow had been cleared away. So it was fine. I got to Chicago in two hours without even trying hard. So that was great. Got to the Cobra Lounge and there's Jimmy. Sitting at the merch table again, and I, I just sort of give him a hey, like a little nod. I didn't even want to talk to him. Uh, he was, he wouldn't have course, recognized you anyway. No, no, he ne- well, he, yeah, exactly. So I bumped into a bunch of uh, uh, your fans, the Cold Manor. That you're not your fans. What do you? What do you, you don't like to call them fans? What do you call them? No, they're not customers. No, they're pe- they're customers. <laughs> uh, anyway, had had a great time with a bunch of the Cold Manor people. Uh, you played a great set. Um, well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I would like to thank all the customers. Did you eat any of the food at Cobra Lounge, by the way? I did. What'd you have? I had something that you wouldn't eat. I had the pot roast grilled cheese. Oh, Jesus Christ. Was it great? It was fucking fantastic. And in fact, here's the problem. I ordered it. And then I realized, oh, shit, Scott's going to be on stage in 10 minutes. And it took like nine minutes to arrive. <laughs> and so I'm wolfing this fucking thing down. I left three quarters of it for um, some cold manner people, I think, enjoyed the rest. And I was like, don't you want to go see Scott? And they're like, no, no, we're going to finish your sandwich and fries first. Uh, yeah. Great fries with, a, with like a horseradish sauce that was just spectacular. Really good fries. They really know how to do great fries there. Yeah. Yeah. What'd you have there? A, uh, a beet... Reuben sandwich. I saw that on the menu which, and thought of it. Which you. was great. Yeah. yeah. So then Jimmy played. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it wasn't a huge turnout, I would say, but but very loyal fans and people were totally into it. I loved the fact that you could 
you know, when he was playing quiet songs, people were just silent, um, mm-hmm. soaking it in. Uh, and then he played uh, a little bit of an Adam Ant song as an intro to, uh, I think as an intro to Fuck Off. Um, he played that Adam Ant song, Wonderful, you know, sort of that later period Adam Ant. Uh, sure. Total pop okay. thing. Do you say but, so? Right, right, if I say so. And uh, so then after the show, he was selling records from on stage, and he was talking to people, and, you know, people had cleared out, and I thought, okay, I've actually got something I could talk to him about, like a mutual interest. So I walked up to him, and I said, <laughs> you hey, just thanks can't for help yourself. That. I couldn't. I said, thanks for playing that Adam Ant song. And he lit up like a Christmas tree, and we wound up talking just one-on-one about Adam Ant for the next 10 minutes, and the tours that we had both seen, and like old set lists versus new set lists and all this shit. It was great. I was like, I finally have had a nice conversation with one of my rock idols. And it was Jimmy Flemian. And we talked about Adam Ant. So that was great. And then Justine, your lovely wife, turned mm-hmm. to me and said, you've never been to Liars Club, right? And I said, no, I never have. Um, she said, well, you've got to pop your cherry tonight. Okay, that was weird to me. I thought you had been to Liars Club. No. No, no. I had not. Okay. That's Justine pays more attention to this podcast than you do. We dragged you to Liars Club where uh, it was Herb's birthday bash. Well, Rama, first of all, let me say whatever he calls you, it. Uh, but 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 first, Paul Massaro was at uh, was at the Cobra Lounge, and it was great to see him. Uh, so I got right. there before you, and I walked in. I was standing there for like two minutes. And uh, Blake from Figdish walks up to me and he says, hey, Ben, it's Blake. And it was so weird that he likes recognized me and I was sort of like, oh, yeah, right, Blake. Um, so we talked for a while and that was nice. And then you showed up and uh, wanted me to watch your guitar, which was fine because I was like, yeah, this is great. I mean, that place was wild. And I don't even think that place was particularly wild that night for what it probably sometimes becomes. But it was crowded there was some band rocking out holy shit uh but at some point herb saw me and ran over to me and i gave him a big hug and he was like trying to drag me into the room i was like well i'm watching scott's guitar over here just give me that fucking thing i'm gonna take it down to the basement so he brought the guitar down to the basement and i went further into liars club and then justine gave me a beer which was nice and then she said have you ever met rick nielsen and i said no she said well i'm going to introduce you to him right now i said no no you don't have to it's fine i'm bad at this i I had my one good interaction tonight with a rock star i don't need to tempt fate but she wouldn't take no for an answer she dragged me over to rick nielsen i'd already i'd already talked to you about rick nielsen i was like hey you should ask rick nielsen to be on the podcast and you smartly said "Eh, not tonight's not the night for that um but she dragged me over to Rick Nielsen, and I had nothing to say to him except I shook his hand, and I'm like freaking out. Uh, and he said, "Hey," and I said, "Hey," he said, "You should do our podcast." He goes, "Well, I like Scott, so yeah, sure, I'll do it." <laughs> so I said, okay, great. So I, I think Rick's coming on the show at some point. That would be great, but uh, what yeah. what Rick says on a on a Saturday night is not actually <laughs> right. sure, not necessarily what's going to happen. Listen, the fact yeah. that Rick is out on a Saturday night at, at one o'clock in the morning or whatever and like life of the party, like that's amazing to me. Yep. Was no, he there for Herb's birthday? birthday? He was there to celebrate he, Herb's birthday? Yes, well kind of. Uh the sound guy 
for Cheap Trick, Bill Cozy. It was his band. So it was his band that was playing when we all walked in. Okay. Uh, and so he came to, to see that. And, you know, the whole place goes nuts. It's like, hey, Rick Nielsen's here. And apparently he brought gifts. I don't know what that means. Did he bring, what, did you just bring a bunch of Cheap Trick picks? I mean, did you see him bring gifts? That's what Herb said. No. I, I got to find out what happened. Maybe it was um, slices of pizza or whatever he likes to. I guess I could call Herb and ask him. So, Let's see. Yeah, find out what those gifts were. Let's see. Uh, but it was a big night for me because I actually like said goodbye to people. I didn't just sort of disappear, which is normally my move. <laughs> yeah, you had a good Chicago night. I mean, I had a great Chicago night. So did I. I felt the same way about it. You know, uh, I was as we were on the way home. I was like, you know, I've got a pretty good life. Yeah, hanging out with Jimmy from the Frogs. Hey, hey, what's up, man? hey uh, you're on the podcast, so don't, don't. Hey, hey, hey I'm, I'm on the crapper, as per usual, <laughs> you guys call on the podcast. What's going on? So, uh, we're talking about, Ben's talking about being at Liars Club and, and Rick Nielsen being there. You said Rick brought gifts? Yeah, well, he brought, you know, because I think, it, you know, he came to see Bill Cozy. Obviously, he didn't come to see me, but, and it's not like we're, buddies or anything, but I've met him many times, you know, from yes. whatever fry and all that. But, but yeah, but he brought a he brought a framed a framed picture uh, a framed newspaper clipping, like the front page of a newspaper from Cleveland after they were in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or something. And then he brought a cheap trick T shirt and a rock and vodka T shirt because he's like partners in that vodka thing. And I went I went and bought a bottle of it just in case, but he doesn't booze anymore. So. <laughs> But that was pretty fucking cool that he showed up. I was pretty psyched. Yeah, really cool. What? Uh, so who's on the podcast? Tonight? It's, uh, it's uh, well, hey, that's a great, great question. question. <laughs> Gabe, who's on the podcast tonight? I don't know if Herb can hear, but we got Mike Zelenko from Material Issue. We got Mike Zelenko tonight. Oh, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Tell, tell him I said hello. I actually, I hit him up to come to the party, but... Uh, they were in L.A. for the, uh, the screening out there, I think. That's right. So, yeah, that's super cool. Yeah. Uh, but that was a good time. That was good to see Ben, too. That was a surprise. I didn't know he was coming. Yeah. No one I knew. didn't know I was coming. I only got to see him for a minute. But, <laughs> yeah. It uh, was a good time, and I'm still paying the price, to be quite honest. I stopped. We're not open at the bar tonight. I just stopped. <laughs> I stopped at the bar to use the crapper. Wait a minute. You're, you're using the crapper. Well, they're going to make it home. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> yep, it was a treat. Um, but cool, guy. Tell, uh, tell us like I said, hey. All right, sounds awesome. good. All right, ha- fellas. Have fun. See you later. Bye. Can I say what I like most about Liars Club? That it really was, I was like, this is fucking great. More clubs should do this. I'm almost never in a club that does this. And by club, I really mean a bar. But they've got a speaker at the front of the bar, you know, as far away from the stage as you can get, but is yeah. broadcasting that music from the stage. And so you even even as far as you can get from the stage, you still feel like you're at the show. It's great. Yeah. It sounded great. Love it. You, you like it. You, I find it annoying. So I, Gabe, can, I get that. If you're not if you don't want to be listening to that music <laughs> at full volume, then, yeah, it's a problem. So who, who do we have on the show? Mike Zelenko of Material Issue fame. Drummer extraordinaire. Storyteller. 
fan of tuna. Fan of fan of tuna sandwiches from Subway. Yes, we'll get into that. I can't remember if he liked. I think he liked it on wheat. I can't remember. Uh, yes, Mike Zelenko. There is a new documentary out about material issue. It's called Out of Time, not to be confused with Ben's favorite REM record. Um, and and yeah, we've known Mike for a long time. It's good that he's on the show. He's been going around to these premieres of this documentary and doing Q&As, and he, um, I think he's back from L.A. He, they had one in L.A. over the weekend. So, yeah, material issue. We all know what happened and, and the, the, what would you call it, the, the major label rush that happened in the 90s in Chicago. But they were, like, they were one of the first bands to get a major label deal. And, you know, I remember seeing shows of theirs and packing the Vic and stuff like that. And, but they were kind of the, the, the first in that whole run-up. Right, Ben? Uh, yeah, game? You, Ben? Gabe? Do you remember? Do you, do you boys remember the first time you heard Valerie loves me, and if it made an impression on you? Because I remember hearing that just sort of in a room somewhere, and being like, "What the fuck is that? This is great!" Like yeah. it's one of those songs that like you couldn't ignore. You just heard it once, and like, w- I need to know what this is all about. Gabe, do you have any memory of this? My only memory of Material Issue was on my compilation soundtrack of the uh, Saturday morning cartoon songs uh-huh. where they, they were the band with Liz Fair when they did the banana split song, banana splits. Yeah. That was your favorite. That was your favorite one, right? No, I was more of a metalhead. So anything that was metal was my thing. And uh, I was coming out of that. Yeah. But on and, that compilation, you know that the banana splits cover was your favorite thing on that compliment compilation, right? No, no, there was some good stuff on there. There was what what was better <laughs> than the banana splits? But was it Belly who did uh, Josie and the Pussycats? Or was it the Tanya ton, ton Donnelly by herself? Oh. Well, it must be something that you remember because it was better than the banana split song, if that's possible. I think, yeah, I think Tanya Donnelly was doing Josie and the Pussycats before Josie and the Pussycats m- movie came out, and then it was Kay Hanley doing it, right? I, bel- uh, I don't remember. But my dog is named Josie from Josie and the Pussycats. I thought you were going to say your dog remembers, but okay. <laughs> I named my dog Josie because of that. After jo- I didn't know that. Yeah, I have two cats. I didn't know that. Then we got the dog, Josie, and the Pussycats. And, and the Pussycats. Yes. Clever. You're a clever motherfucker. I'm going to read you the track listing for this Saturday morning cartoon's greatest hits albums and what's the best. This is a great what's the best bit. Okay, here we go. What's the best? The Tralala song by Liz That Fair is the Banana Splits. Issue. The aforementioned yeah. Banana Splits, yes. Right. I watched that video today, by the way. Oh, did you? Yeah, it's just Liz Fair jumping around. What more do you need? It was great. Right. Then Sponge covered the Speed Racer theme song, Go Speed Racer, Go. Go Speed Racer. You know, there was a kid in my neighborhood that thought the show was called Go Speed Racer. And so when he would say it, he'd be like, Go Speed Racer. I'm like, are you ghost? What what are you doing? What's wrong with you? Proceed. 
uh, Mary Lou Lord and Semisonic did Sugar Sugar, the art cheese. Oh, that, that might be Gabe's choice. That's some pretty good bubblegum pop there. Yeah, okay. Did you know that that song was co-written by Andy Kim? Woo, the Andy Kim? The Andy Kim. Okay. You, you'll find out. <laughs> um, Scooby-Doo theme done by Matthew Sweet. Nice, I remember that one. I always love the Scooby-Doo theme. I always love everything about Scooby-Doo. Uh, Josie and the Pussycats was covered by Juliana Hatfield and Ta- Tommy oh, Donnelly. How could I forget that? It was the what? <laughs> duet. Wow. The duet. How could you wow. forget that, Gabe? Yeah. What? I don't know. What is this world coming to? I'm getting old. How could Jesus I forget? Christ. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's the only reason I bought that. Duh, do you think? <laughs> Collective on, Soul then. covered the theme from the from the Bugaloos. You could have skipped that one. You know, I don't like the <laughs> don't Bugaloos. I don't like Collective Soul. <laughs> Fuck that track. Go on. Uh, Butthole Surfers did the theme from Underdog. I don't well, think I made it that far into the cup. <laughs> Wait, we're not even. We haven't even gotten to the good stuff yet. Helmet did Gigantor. Perfect. The Ramones did Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. That's, that might be my pick. That's a good one. That's pretty yeah. fucking good. The Reverend Horton Heat did the theme from Johnny Quest, but also Stop That Pigeon. How do those two songs go together? Hmm. Johnny Quest and Stop That Pigeon? Yeah. I don't know. Interesting, Interesting mashup. Remember this band... Frente, F R E N T E exclamation point. I do. A band? It's a person. They, is it a person? It? Yes, it's like Madonna, the one named Wonder. I don't know about that. I, I think mean, it is. Look it up. Maybe. Is it? Is it though? You know, Frente got to that Papa Don't Preach phase. I tuned out. <laughs> Papa Don't Frente. Uh, uh, the Violent Femmes did, uh, oh, oh, I'm sorry, Frente, I gotta tell you what they did. They did Open Up Your Heart and Let the Sunshine In from the Flintstones. Huh. That's a, that's a deep cut. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Violent Femmes did Eep Oop, Eep That was the Bam Bam, that was the song that Bam Bam and Pebbles performed, right? Oh, that's beautiful, yeah. Okay. Yes. Violent Femmes did this song from the Jetsons. The E.E. Okay. Eep, eep, op, orc, ah, ah, means I love you from the Jetsons. So Perfect. is that another one of these like episodes where they're like in a rock band? No, it wasn't it the one, or was that the Flintstones that had the, like the green dude? Marvin the Martian. From outer space. No, not Marvin the Martian. <laughs> Marvin the Martian. Martian. What? Remember the guy, he had a green helmet and he, and, and, and he was, he was sort of like the Oliver of, uh, I thought it was Marvin the Martian. <laughs> no. No, he had the helmet on and he'd be like, Rrr. he's like a, my favorite Martian. All right, here's this next band is a band I don't know. Dig? The look of disgust on Gabe's face right now is priceless. What's the Martian from the He's shaking his head. What the, well, look it up. You, you know you've already got your pick locked in. Go on, Gabe. Uh, ben, Jesus Christ. Some band called Dig? Do you guys know Dig. this band? Dig? Yeah. yeah, I remember Dig. They were good. The Great Gazoo. The, yeah, great, the great Gazoo. Gazoo. Now, do you remember it? 
It will always be Marvin the Martian to me, but it's the Great Gazoo. It's the (laughs) same person. That's problematic. I've never seen them both in the same room at the same time, so it's... They don't look anything alike. I guess they both have helmets. He doesn't care. You see one Martian, you've seen them all. So Dig did the Fat Albert theme. Oh, wow. Here's another band I don't know. Face to Face. You don't know Face to Face? face. You don't know Face to Face? Where have you been? Come on. Where you been? What was their big hit? What was their hit? Couldn't tell you. They didn't have hits. Oh, okay. Well, they did Popeye the Sailor Man. Mm. Here's a band I do know, Tripping Daisy. Wish I didn't. Yeah. What did they do? Tripping, they did the theme from Sigmund and the Sea Monsters. Oh, I remember that. Yes, they did. There might even be a video for that. Now, here's a cool cover. The Toadies did Ghoulie Get Together from the Groovy Ghoulies. It's pretty good. Okay. The, who's, the who's who of 95. 94 even. Yeah. Well, speaking of, you guys are going to be excited about this next one. Sublime did the theme from Hong Kong Fooey. Gah, come on. Racist. That's got to be. We got to listen to that. <laughs> racist. Skate man. Now, here's that, something interesting. Is that it? Is, is that the full no, track no. listing? The, there's two more. The Murmurs, which is a band I don't know. Did the theme from HR Puff and stuff. Nice. And what's the but last one? Is here, anybody doing Giggle Star Hotel? Hang on a second. But it says that HR Puff and stuff was co-written by Paul Simon. Is that possible? The, the senator. <laughs> Maybe. And then finally, the album closes out with a track by Wax. Forgettable. Yeah. Forgettable. Wax, Wax did. Are they terrible? Is that no, what you just not. said? He said For, forgettable. forgettable. Oh, forgettable. Uh, they did the they did the Ren and Stimpy. They did Happy Happy Joy Joy from Ren and Stimpy. Now that's not that's not Saturday that's not, morning. That's th- that should have been bullshit. lopped off. Wax. Lady, that was bullshit. That was bullshit. Yeah. All right. So what's the best? What's the best? Easily, Joe seen the Pussy Kids. Mm, Easily, by shark. Far. Not even but, close. Ben, what do you got? Uh, I'm going with the Ramones Spider-Man. Ramones Spider-Man. I'm going with that, too. No. So that's the best. <laughs> no. <laughs> All you right. Know, I, that was a great bet. What's the best? I don't know if I should bring this up. But, you know, apparently last week's episode, we had Jimmy from the Frogs on, Jimmy Flemian, and and... From what I heard, he, he liked it. He had a good time. So, guys, we, we did a good job. But one of the things, we, we cut out a chunk of the interview, and I don't even know if I should be telling people this, but it's kind of a funny story. So when, when I was talking to Jimmy about the frogs being ahead of their time, and then I went into this bit where I was talking about uh, they were also you know, there wasn't a whole lot of represent, gay representation uh, at the time. Long story short, I always thought that the frogs were gay. I mean, sue me. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't do uh, the research because I, you know, I just, you know, I heard it's only right and natural and I heard with the boys and all that stuff. And I was like, oh, they're gay. Okay. You know, this is cool. But by the way, I think most people feel I did too. I, I thought they were gay 
until Dennis died and I was reading about like he was out on the water with his kids and his family and he jumped off the boat and they never yeah, saw him but again. Yeah, but here's, like, here's the part of the story. You knew he wasn't gay when we were doing that interview and you let me go. And I'm, and I'm sitting here in the interview going, you know, the other thing was you guys are ahead of, ahead of the pack. Like now everybody's gay and you guys are ahead of the pack, like <laughs> making music that was, you know, representing gay people, you know, and, and but they were, ben everything just let me, you said ben was just, right. Yeah. But they weren't gay. And Ben so just what? letting me go. He's like, whoa, where is, where is Scott <laughs> going with this? This should be hilarious. Also, maybe they were gay. I mean, you can be gay and then you can be other things. You could go through phases in your life. They might have been gay when they were of course. kids. Who knows? I, 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 I'm not even sure we should be talking about this. You're, you're right. You're well, right. there's another thing you're going to cut out. <laughs> but I thought you did just fine in that part of the interview. And Jimmy seemed to be fine with it. You said queer representation. And I was like, what a wonderful phrase. How forward thinking of Scott. How nice to be. What did they say up. when you talked to him about it at the show? I didn't, I didn't talk to him. I was like, <laughs> I was, so afterwards, but after the interview, Ben goes, he's like, I was wondering where you're going with that. And I'm like, you just let me I didn't say go? I was wondering where you were going with that. He's like, no, he's, no, you were sitting there going, okay, Scott's really going to hang himself with his own rope here. This is going to be hilarious. I was sitting there going, am I ever going to get a question? And, and then I, I was about to, and then Gabe jumps in with some nonsense, and I'm like, okay. I guess I'm <laughs> a little man on the totem pole. Always. Gabe had to ask him about <laughs> Iron Maiden. Speaking of nonsense. I had no, he, no, no, no. He, was, no, he made a whole speech about how you took him to a show, and it was the greatest show he ever saw. He laughed. He cried. Yeah, but play. listen to this it was, nonsense. It was nice. The, the feedback that I yeah. read about the last week's podcast was this proposition of Scott's to bring me down the walk of shame with Lane Stanley and Scott Weiland. <laughs> that walk of shame. I don't know what it is. The, 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 come, come on. Skid Row or whatever it is. <laughs> walk down Skid Row. Lane Staley, by the way. What did I say? Stanley? I always say Stanley. Like Paul Stanley. Well, I mean... I mean... What movies have you been watching that have all these heroin heroes that brought this idea up in your mind that I'm going to bring Gabe out? I'm going to turn him out? Well, apparently there's a scene in uh, Little Miss Sunshine, but I'm not a huge fan of Little Miss Sunshine. But I, I watched the clip of Alan Arkin saying, you know, when you're old, that's the time to start doing hard drugs. And I, I agree. Morphine? I mean, did you watch the clip, Gabe? No, I didn't. I heard that I should watch it. I, I got I to listen to you it. Should, you should watch it. All I saw was you comment. Never going to happen. <laughs> no. I think a few people took it seriously. Because uh, they should. <laughs> no. I'm, I'm 100% serious. I, when that sun is going down on you and me. No. Nothing's going down. That's not the only thing that's going to be going down. <laughs> I've done drugs. To blow your mind. Hey, everybody, it's Mike Zelenko. Hi, Mike. Hello, Scott. Are you still in L.A.? No, I am back in Chicago in my comfortable, warm apartment with my fabulous lady and our new old dog that we just got two weeks ago. What kind of dog? How old is your dog? They think he's about four. And like a German Shepherd mix, and he came like 
fully trained. What's his name, Mike? Well, the name at the shelter was Indiana Bones. Okay. So we, right. made it, uh, we, we made it Jones or Jonesy. All right. That's good. Just call him Dr. Jones, lady. Yeah. Okay. So you were in L.A. with this uh, material issue, Doc. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, it was premiere on Friday at the Alamo. Um, and it was sold out. Okay. And... You know, the more I the more I see this film, uh, the more I like it. Um, considering it's a, a first attempt by you know this young filmmaker Balin Schneider, um, he really does pull at the heartstrings. You know, uh, at the right moments towards the end, when you know when when uh, you know he has to tell the unfortunate part of the story. Yeah, I mean, I saw I saw a cut of it. Like, what was that like? Oh my God! How long ago was that? Was that two or three years ago? What uh, when we did the Lincoln Hall thing? Yeah. Oh, that was uh, a, a year and a half ago. Okay. All right. God, it seems. Yeah, forever. November, November of twenty twenty one. So, how did you get hooked up with this guy? Did he just reach out to you? He found us. Yeah. Yeah, he found us. Um, we've been approached multiple times about things like this, and. Parents go like, okay, sure, sure. Come at us with with your first uh, your first pitch or whatever. And, and uh, he had him and three other. They were literally kids. They were like nineteen that uh-huh. drove all the way from Topeka, Kansas. But they, they had a, they had they had all the forms and the release forms and. Uh, it, everything like they're ducks in a row and the questions the initial questions were really good and uh he interviewed uh, you know ted myself and um and then it just he kept going with it and very resourceful kid um with not a lot of money um was able to get steve albini to be interviewed jim's mom jim's dad um our managers he, uh, Mike Chapman, you know, he figured out how to, you know, get enough money to get him and his, 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 his crew on a plane to, uh, New York, Connecticut to, mm-hmm. uh, go to Mike Chapman's house. Um, and he didn't get everybody he wanted, but he really put it together with not a lot of money and just in the same spirit as we did when we were making records when we were that age. Right. And yeah, yeah. I really, I really like this kid a lot. While he was making it, you were not looking at any footage, right? He sent me stuff, and I know that Ted, Ted will look at everything. I didn't look at much of it because I really trusted him. Uh-huh. Um, if there would have been any sort of uh, red lights, Teddy would have, you know, whatever called me, been like, yeah, yeah, you know. That. And actually, I didn't even look at anything until the premiere in Minneapolis one month before the show that you were at, Scott. Right. And that was the first time I had seen it. And I'm glad I did that because it was just, it. I, I just trusted my gut with this kid and it's it's really a great film about the band. It's very accurate. Yeah. And it was an emotional experience probably, I would imagine. Yes, very much so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so it wasn't, it wasn't a case of you weren't ready or, you, you know, I mean, it's been, it's been a while, but, you know, I, I could see how, 
it it, it affected you. And it, it, it wasn't a case of where you're just like, I don't want to get involved with this. I don't want to go back there. It, it wasn't that? No. Um, I wouldn't want to go back there in like a broken car of someone mm -hmm. who uh, is doing it not well, right? Um, I really am impressed with this kid, the way he um, uh, uh, took it. I mean, he, he told the, st he's telling the story. He's presenting it just right. If we would have, we would have withdrawn our support if he wasn't, um, if, if it was someone else who wasn't, you know, that's good. Right. So you sort of like going on the road with this movie? Well, uh, yeah, they have, um, New York is next. Uh -huh. So the premiere there. And they're basically flying us out to do these Q and A's after the, after the showing. Cool. Um, so in LA, Matt Penfield, uh, from MTV was a moderator. Yes. And our yes. old friend, <laughs> Mrs. Zuckerman, who worked for, who worked for our, our manager. And it, you know, Peter Cassis, right? Scott? You, I, I sort of do. Peter? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so you know, and Peter was there. All, all, all our LA people were there, um, um, and uh, Factory Twenty Five is the distributor out of Brooklyn. Matt Grady, and uh, next up is New York. And you know, I'm up for it. It's sometimes it's 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 it, you, you kind of have to drag Ted to get out of Niles for uh. believe it or not. <laughs> But, uh, but we had a nice time in, in, in L.A. seeing old friends. It was really good. Well, where did you grow up? In Chicago. U Ukrainian village until, uh, I guess, my when my folks, like both my folks are like from the old country, right? So like, uh -uh. Um, but no, I, I, I grew up in, in, in the city in Chicago, yeah. In the 80s on the Northwest Side, once you started like listening to The Cure, in New Order, you could get beat up. You know? uh -huh. Yeah. Uh, but the the and I've said this over the years, and every time, not every time, but Michael Connell from Rights of the Accused. Yeah. We went to high school together. I and, didn't know this. This I didn't know. This this is good. Oh Go yeah, on. no, no, no. I've known, I've known Mike since uh, since freshman year of high school, and we had we were in gym class as freshmen, so we're like, you know. <laughs> dorky freshman kids you know and uh -huh. mike had a um, motley crew t-shirt and believe it or not scott you know you've known mike for many years and yeah. like kind of longish hair um and uh he would show up at gym class with like uh studded bracelets <laughs> <laughs> i'm like i gotta be friends with this guy i'm gonna be friends with the guy for the rest of my life yeah. and uh and, and then over the course of, of, of high school, like here's this guy who's in this band and they're putting out records on their own. And you know about this. I mean, yeah. Rights of the Cues. Right, know, uh, Rights of the Cues. And um, he was he was definitely like my first um, consigliere, you know, like uh, inspiration. And, and and I started going to, to, to Rights of the Cues shows um, and met Anthony, who was a drummer at, the, mm -hmm. at that time. Anthony Iliardi, right, and um, where it really turned around for me uh, from from being you know a dopey uh, Northwest Side metalhead kid 
to uh, expanding into other things is um, I think it was like about 83, 84. No, it was 84. So we would have been like juniors in high school. And Michael Connell was like, you have to go to this show. It's a Tuesday night. It's at the Cubby Bear. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sneak out if you have to. Um, it was who's could do the replacements and the meat puppets at Cubby oh. Bear. And yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, and and I saw, and uh, so Meat Peppers went up first, and I was just like, eh. and then the replacements went on, and I was just like, that's what I want to fucking do. <laughs> Tom, Tommy, Tommy got in a fight with uh, Paul, and fucking ran off stage. So he would, and he looked like my age at I was like fifteen. He's only like a year older than me. It, he could have been younger. I was, yeah. I would have guessed younger. You know, but he ran. He, both would have been he, good he guesses. Off, so like like Cubby back then was kind of a dumpy, dumpy bar across yeah. from Wrigley Field, and um and and Tommy ran off stage and then um uh, Bob, Paul and Chris uh, finished the set, and I I and I stayed for Husker Du and I had to like I was like you know I had to I had to get home you know I was like all your show right, and I was like I was obsessed with that band. And the next day at school like. Tell me everything about this band. Tell me everything about all these other bands that are like this. And um, and and um, then I cut my hair. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was it. I mean, that's a pretty good fucking bill. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ. Gabe, would you like to a- ask your question right now? <laughs> Let's just get this out of I was the way. Ready to, I was ready to ask it earlier. Yeah, I Mike, think... Nice, get, nice I, to meet you, but... Uh, you, you thought it was going pretty good, Gabe. Let, let, let's yeah. do this question. We we got to know. <laughs> every every guest we ask, <clears throat> if they had to choose between two bands, you could only live with one of them: the Replacements no. or Iron Maiden. Oh, the Replacements. Uh, I love yeah. Iron Maiden, but I, but I, but I'm I'm a Paul Diano fan. Ooh, now you're talking. So that's all right. And and I'm only a fan of Bruce Dickinson. Uh, at like number of the beast. And after that, I just, you know, I mean, I'm sure all those records are great, but I, uh, the first record is so cool. It's almost like the clash. It's like a bit (laughs) punk rock, metal, melodic. They have harmonies and shit. I mean, they they have like three part harmonies on that record. Listen to that record. There's three part harmonies on it. Yeah. But I like Paul Diano because he, he wasn't like the, he was like, you know, <laughs> I'm running free. Yeah. You know, he was, he, he hit a, a, you know, a, he was singing from here, you know? Yeah. So I still love it. But to answer your question, definitely the replacements. Yeah. 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 Gabe was, Gabe was kind of happy there for a second. He heard you were a metalhead. He's like, I might have a chance here. <laughs> and then you cut your hair.
The story is you you put an ad in Illinois Entertainer and and he answered it. Yeah. What did it say in your ad? What did that ad say that attracted Jim's attention? It was um, drummer looking for um, band. Um, <laughs> Tom Petty. Oh. The replacements. Hmm. Um. The Birds. Hmm. Um. And Thin Lizzy, something okay. like that. So, so it was because of you that you guys would cover Cowboy Song? No, we were all, all three of us were fans. I just covered fucking Cowboy Song a couple weeks ago. Uh, and and you guys, I think, were the first people I saw play that. It was, um, uh, that's the thing. Like, I mean, we get, we get packed as this power pop band. But again, like Jim and I came up from this Jim's also from the city actually like so when when I met him and he was living in Addison he actually grew up in a pretty rough neighborhood like uh in Hermosa um and then so Jimmy Jimmy's like total like his sort of tough guy like uh thing I mean he was he he grew up in a, in a pretty rough neighborhood um and also was uh really into like hard rock 70s hard rock we, we started getting called a power pop band and then we were like, well, okay, we, we like cheap trick and we like off Broadway um, and, and the knack and Blondie. It, 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 like, I mean, if you listen to the first EP, um, we got compared to television. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause Jim's vocals, if you listen, if you listen to it, um, he's got that delivery and um, his guitar playing is very much like that angular. We, we weren't that good, but we but we had good feel. Right. We had good feel, and we had good editing. You know, right. It, you know. But then, but, but then, when 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 it started to come together, and the song started to sound more like sort of mod revisionist or power pop revisionist. That's when we, you know, we were like, okay, well, we, this is, I guess we, this is, this is, this is, this is the band sound, you know? Like the, the whole presentation of the band, it like goes hand in hand with the sound. You know what I mean? Like yeah, well, yeah. the, the power yeah. pop thing and all that and the, the American flag and, you know, all using that, wearing stuff with the American flag on it, that all fits into this American pop ideal, ideal, you know? Well, well, the inspiration for that was, um, you know, the kids are all right, record cover. So, you know, the Who had 
scraped themselves in, uh, in you know, Union Jack. And also uh, part of that inspiration was sort of like Abby, Abby Hoffman, you know, uh, our, our approach to that whole thing wasn't so much uh, about like you know like lee greenwood or something like that like you know <laughs> no, uh, you know it was it was it was more it was more just like like the mc5 with with yes. the with the, the uh you know wayne kramer with the right with the guitar against chicago, the chicago convention the yeah that, yeah that was our inspiration for that yeah yeah so what brought you to zion uh jeff murphy shoes uh that was all that was all jim that was all Jim, because um, um, so Jim had um, a, a, a drummer and a bass player for less than a year, Lance Hauser and um, and and Danny Thompson, um, and they recorded about six to eight songs, and then uh, both those guys decided that you know Jim's material issue wasn't for them, and mm. Jim had already had a relationship with Jeff up there in Zion. At, at short order how jim told me at long i mean long time ago why he uh contacted jeff to record his 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 band they um, probably had an ad in the entertainer too yeah. actually that's <laughs> that's probably what it was yeah. um but i think you know jeff uh or jim jimmy was always a a, a he, he really liked shoes. He really liked shoes. And, and he actually turned me on to shoes. I, I do remember hearing those songs on the radio when I was young. Um, but um, I think he was just um, uh, impressed with um, their um, do-it-yourself yeah. um, approach. And he's like, these guys know the business. And you've recorded there. Yep. Great, great fucking studio. And... Um, those guys taught us a lot. Yeah, yeah, that's what they did. They equipped us. They equipped us with armor when we when we signed that deal. So what was that like signing the deal? It all happened so fast because um, international pop overthrow was about eighty percent of it was recorded um, financed by us, mm -hmm. and it was going to be our next release on our label, Big Block Records. Right. Which we had put out two releases on Big Block. And that was just going to be our first um, full-length album. Right. They didn't start it as demos? Was that the thought? Well, uh, we didn't consider them demos. Okay. So it was always meant to be like I said, um, a record. I would say, I think, I think it's Lil Christine out right now. Ted would know better than me. Um, maybe two others, but no more than four songs on IPO were financed by Mercury. The rest, we had came to the table owning those recordings. Mm -hmm. And they decided to release, um, to release uh, at least 80% of IPO as is. The thing about it is, is that record sounds better now than I think it did then. You know, it's it's kind of it's really fucking aged well, and it's you know, and it's a classic. It's it's right up there. It it's fitting that it was recorded Thanks. at That's the Shoe nice Studio. Thank you very much. You know, it's fitting that it's recorded at the Shoe Studio because it it had it has that status. You know, 
Um, and I, I, lo- I love the intro. I love the intro of Valerie where you can hear that, that short order tape hiss. It just, um, just right. takes me right back there. Well, you know, good songs. Good yeah. songs. And the band's not overplaying. And we're not doing anything. Um, we weren't at all interested in trying to mimic whatever whatever the flavor of the day was. You know, it was just we, 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 we were pretty much like just insulated and like wanted, wanting to sound the way that we wanted to sound. So, but right. good songs, man. Good songs, good singing. It's always going to yeah. be. It's always going to sound good. Yeah, it seems like nobody really knew when you guys got signed what the flavor of the day was going to be. I mean, you guys were kind of the canary in the coal mine as far as uh, Chicago bands getting national attention. The little uh, bio for um, or whatever, the tag thing for uh, the Out of Time uh, at the Alamo, whoever wrote that wrote it perfectly, you know, uh, you know, a band out of time um we were sort of in line with things that were coming up with like teenage fan club mm-hmm. uh, matthew sweet um well uh spin the know, so there was it was that but really what changed everything was pearl jam and nirvana you know mm-hmm. and um uh, so the label didn't really know what to do with us, you know, after that was released. And, but like, if we would have known about Weezer, we would have been like, well, there's this band called Weezer and, you know, that band's not too different from us, you know? So, um, and, and, and some people compare us to Green Dad. I think that's a bad comparison. I, I would say like, you know, like what Weezer was doing is, is is more in line with what we want to do but we were also kind of jangly a little bit we were influenced by you know like the birds like the birds are like like birds uh, are, are like that band i love the birds as much as the beatles um you look at like fleetwood mac i mean like rumors is like what their sixth record or something like that you know so i feel yeah, like i mean i mean i feel like you know i mean you know first second third record i mean in any 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 group like you start to hit your stride, you know, like by your third or fourth record, I suppose. But, and for sure for us, it was like, you know, like um, the record that we put out after Freak City Soundtrack, I listen to that. I'm like, I hear this like, you know, 12 cylinder rocking machine with like great fucking harmonies. My Everyone's playing is way better from all the touring and uh you know um ipo's great record but like the band was just getting better and better and that's all we ever wanted to do you know so Oh my 
was we were approached by a lot of people and actually jerry harrison really wanted to produce our second record from talking heads yep and if you recall in 92 um jerry harrison was extremely successful with um live all right crash test dummies oh my god um but you know, <laughs> hey i mean whatever man i mean he uh whatever he touched in 92 was was like outstanding and um we met with them um, we, we aren't the biggest Talking Heads fans, you know, but it, it, Talking Heads wasn't going to produce records, Jerry Harrison, you know. Right. Um, and, I, you know, we just decided to stay with Jeff, which, uh, you know, that's that, that, that just made sense for us at that time. Um, but after the second record, uh, we definitely felt we had to... Um, you know, go someplace else. So um, I can remember like uh, Jim and I were living um, actually just around the corner from here at like, uh, at like Roscoe and Walcott. He was on the second floor, I was on the first floor. And um, we had like a few weeks off and um, we were listening to records and um, he wanted, he wanted um, Tommy James to produce our third record. 
What? I'm like, wow. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm like, Jim, what? That, maybe your fucking mom's record, Tommy James. I love Tommy James, but like, 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 I, you know, I, you know, we, if we're gonna if we're gonna pull like a legacy person out, you know, we need to like, you know, let's look at like what we really fucking like, you know. And I went upstairs, and I, I I put on E to the beat on on the record player, uh-huh. Blondie. You know, Clem Burke on drums, you know, and, yeah. and that record is just so sonically punchy and melodic. And um, I, it's my favorite Mike Chapman produced record. Yeah, and it's a good one. It's fucking it's, great. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. We were just listening to it. And then and then we we're like, well, you know, the, the, uh, you know, also like being big, sweet fans. It just yeah. made sense. So um, whoever set it up. Uh, he, he, um, from, from day one, it was like, this guy just was so excited. Um, so enthusiastic and knew exactly what he wanted to do with us and got us like he would, you know, that, that experience with Mike Chapman is amazing. I think Gabe's favorite Mike Chapman record is Mickey by Tony Basil. He wrote that song. I know that song. That's why Gabe loves it. That guy wrote a lot. Of like, a uh, lot. What, it's crazy so, how many great songs he wrote. Well, and, and when 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 we were in the studio, he was like, "Okay, so there's so there's Mike Chapman and Nikki Chin, right? Is that the other guy? The songwriting songwriting duo of Sweet is Nikki Chin. So Nikki basically, Chin Nikki Chin. Right, yeah. So what Mike said to us like, "Oh, Nikki Chin was uh was uh this rich kid in London, and he basically got me into it, got me got my foot in the door. So I had to like give him songwriting credit, but." I wrote Fox on the Run, Little Willie, Ballroom Blitz. You know, he, he's like, I wrote all those songs. I'm not going to try to attempt a Mike Chapman accent because he's actually from uh, Australia and lived in South Africa and England. So he's got yeah. this weird accent that almost sounds American. Whose idea was it to record Kim the Waitress? It was, well, the idea came from mike chapman he started telling the story about uh the tide is high by blondie and um debbie was uh walking to the studio and picked up uh a little 45 on the street for like you know a quarter and they brought it and she brought it in and she's like i just love i you know i I don't know she listened at home maybe i just love the song and it was mike's idea for them to do that Right. So he told us that story and he's like, and he didn't really like suggest for us to do it. Um, he's like, I would love to hear this band do like some old obscure tune that you guys love. So Kim, the waitress is banned by the green pajamas that, uh, um, so Jim used to book batteries, not included. I don't know if you remember that Scott. Yeah. Uh, that was a, maybe a couple of years before you you were coming around in Chicago uh, from Zion, but right. um, this band called the Green Pajamas. They sent them this forty five, uh, and they were sort of like a, a Paisley uh, underground, whatever Paisley revisionist sixties um, kind of group. And um, Kim the Waitress. Um, we always loved that track. It was super cool. It was like sticky. Bad playing, like good bad playing. 
good, right. bad playing. No one in the band was that good, but they didn't creep outside of their ability level. So, and they had this wonderful tune. Uh, so, um, Jim dug up that 45, we brought it in the studio, we listened to it one time, and then we went in, and pretty much the first time that we played it was, I would say about, like, pretty much close to how it came out. back to Zion okay what did you think mm -hmm. of our little town when you were spending all that time there where were you staying when you were recording the second record uh some dumpy little hotel down the street <laughs> okay uh, right. because uh we we were we were so uh, you know we were we were so frugal and we knew that everything every everything at you know was going to be charged to us you know like uh, as as you know, against against our our record sets, well, we wanted to keep all that really cheap. Anyway, we stayed in, in some shitty place there, and we didn't care. We we were, it was better. That's what we liked. So yeah, and then we would yeah. just you know we would just you know we had one car. We drove down, you know whatever that I forget that street, but like uh, Sheridan Road. Sheridan, yeah, and then we go on and work. Where do you think they were staying, Gabe? I don't know, but I was doing dishes at Potesta's Pizza across the street from Short Order Recording. So I might have seen you yeah, guys I was, going I, back and forth. I was working at Subway while they were recording that record. <laughs> Isn't there a story where they came in and, and got some, some food from you? Well, Mike would always come in and he'd get a, a tuna sub. Uh, what? what did I right? order? A tuna. You'd get a 12-inch tuna on wheat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> After about a week or two of this shit, I finally, you know, got my nerve up, and I was like, "Hey, you guys are over at uh, Short Order. You're recording?" And he's like, "Yeah." And I'm like, uh, "Yeah, we, I'm in a band. We record there too." He goes, "Yeah, great. Could I get uh, tomatoes on that?" Ah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so, uh, Gabe, are you? Are, is, is Gabe uh, still getting on stage uh, with uh, local H? <laughs> yeah, he does. He still when, does. Whenever it. I'm around, I'm I'm in Florida these days. But whenever I'm around with the guys, uh, Scott will pull me out of the. What did like the the record company people think of Zion? Would, would they come and visit the studio while you're recording? <laughs> uh, well, um, Jim was like, "No, we're gonna do it here, and we're gonna do it the way we've always done it." And I'm like, "Okay, that makes sense." Um, and the best part about it is that no one's going to bug us up here. So it's like, who's going to fly from New York or LA and then, <laughs> and then go from Chicago to design. Right. I mean, if we're in downtown Chicago, they can just come in and visit us. And I'm like, all right, Jim, you know, you're the leader of the band. You're the boss, man, whatever. Cool. Cool. And yeah, we were, we were, we were very isolated. The problem with the second record a little bit was that Jim 
um, was enjoying the success a bit. You know, him and Nash were out, you know. Yeah. Rainbow Club and, 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 and you know, Smart Bar. Nash wasn't coming to Zion, though. No. <laughs> yeah. No, but. That fucking uh, guy is not coming to Zion. No, no. But the, the point that I, I would make like is that. See. Uh, Jim, Jim, Jim was Jim had uh, they they pushed us into the studio pretty quickly on that second record, and uh, um, I think we would have been better off if we would have just sort of like you know taken a, a little bit of a break. Tell me about that Fourth uh, of July show with the replacements. Well, um, it was. It was cool in the fact that, like, we knew that this was the replacement's last gig. You knew. Uh, well, but I mean, we're, we were told. Before they started playing, you were told. We were told that that's, that, 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 yeah, that that's the last gig. Wow. Since we were such big fans, uh, it was great to play with them. Um, but we were also, like, you know, we were, we were like, first on the bill. Um, so... We weren't thinking about the replacement. We were thinking about our own our own thing, you know. But it was it was it's 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 great now, thirty years later, to have been a part of that legendary show. Yeah, you know, the last last replacements gig, man. Fuck yeah, man, that's fucking awesome. That band changed my life. Um, what was the? Do you remember what the first song Jim brought in to you that you were like, oh shit, this is special, and this is gonna be great? The one that really blew me away wasn't anything early it was next big thing on on mm -hmm. our second record um just because he had it completely we didn't have there was no there, there was really no input from Ted and I with um arrangements or anything he had it it was just it was perfect from the beginning it's a fucking gorgeous song um the lyrics are amazing and all Ted and I, we 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 modeled it. We modeled it after the Laws a little a little bit. The band the Laws. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's like dun, dun, yeah. yeah. And so we wanted the drums just to be like kind of you know, um, and just very simple. Uh, that song is amazing. That song is amazing. It's I, absolutely that that fucking Jimmy wrote a an absolutely amazing song in on that one. Yeah.
Okay, here's my one other question. Because I know you've been working with Phil. Do you have, what's your best Enough's Enough or Donnie V story? <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you a good story about Donnie V. Uh, yeah. Uh, and and Phil. Uh, uh, yeah. So when COVID happened, three years ago, so uh, Donnie put out this really good solo record um, yeah. that Phil played on. And then Phil uh, suggested me as the drummer to do this gig at, at Fitzgerald's in Berlin. Yeah, I was at that show. <laughs> um, and I'm like, all right, cool. So you know, so I talked to Donnie. And sends, sends me the, the sends me the material, and, and it's all really good. I mean, that guy guy writes really good songs. Um, mm-hmm. And um, well, one of the songs we start we start rehearsing and. Um, um, it just like, I don't, you know, I don't want to call Donnie out at all. I like, it's kind of late for rehearsal. <laughs> I was on time. I'm fucking waiting for this fucking guy. And he shows up and then like his guitar is out of tune. And then he's calling, he's hitting the button for the guy like to come in and cause his vocals don't sound right in his monitor at, at uh, right. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, we had two long rehearsals with him, and 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 I, I guess I, I grew a little impatient, but he fired me. <laughs> so I got fired by Donnie D, uh, which was a blessing. Yeah, yeah. which actually was 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 fine. It was fine. Um, they wound up they they wound up doing the gig at the show, sold out. It was great. They pulled it off. Uh, but I got nothing but good things to say about Donnie and and Chip. Those guys. Are uh, those guys write good songs? And Donnie really writes good songs. He really writes good yeah. songs. Um, and um, I would have loved to have done that gig with him. Um, but then he hired like some dude that like trolls his sticks and shit. You know? Yeah, some guy with like a big pompadour, like a big yeah, Elvis. Yeah, so. Yeah. Teddy? Who? Was it Teddy? Ted? No, was it Ted? Ted had a great Ted plays drones? Day, didn't he? <laughs> oh my God. It was amazing. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Ted had great. Well, I'm glad I'm glad this thing is out and you guys dig it and you know, it gets you and Ted together going to LA. I mean, it's it's a nice cuz you know, I mean, I I remember when that happened and it was when, you know, when that went down with with Jim and it was just uh it was a huge shock. And, you know, I mean, you don't have to talk about where your headspace was after that, but, you know, it seems like this is a nice way to put a cap on things. It, you know, uh, Scott, I appreciate that, what you just said, um, and it, 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 it is. What, what, uh, what this uh, documentary, for me at least, and I think I, think I can speak for Ted on this, is um, it's good therapy for us. Uh, I was sitting in the airport the other day, and I was just like, "Man, you know, God, man, what? Like, remember, remember what your head was like, you know, for like four or five years after Jim died. Like, we were we were yeah. pretty fucked up, you know. Yeah. And uh, um, it's it. This is this is good. This is this is this is a good thing. Uh, not only for the legacy of the band, but but for us. Um, it really is helping with like um, the mental pain that 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 we went through with with that. I mean, it it's almost like I didn't realize uh, like you know I didn't really realize uh, how it affected me day to day. Like just you know, I mean, you get your you get your your your, your career, your band that you you know it's like you that's yeah. all the fuck that's the only thing you fucking care about in the whole fucking world you know and then it's just like ripped away from you you know it's awful yeah. it's awful but to see this now um and uh this kid telling the story and uh people clapping and um we had uh like eight or nine like young young kids 21 year old kids coming up to us and asking for autographs and 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 with the, you know with their records and stuff it's yeah yeah it feels good good yeah you know and it also makes you realize that you know uh career fuck career be damned you you did everything right artistically you did everything right you know did our best you know we did some we did a lot of things right we did we did some things wrong but um um I, I I really I really I, I would love I'd love for people to come out and see this movie. It's really great. It's a yes. really great. It's a really great little film. Yeah, yeah. And and people should listen to the records. And you know who's the star of the film? Jim's mom. Jim's mom. Yeah. Jim's mom. Yeah. Jim's mom. Her line about how she goes. He may have loved Valerie, but we didn't. She's a badass. Yeah. She's a badass, and um, she her. Uh, Everything she says, in, she says in the film is 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 absolutely awesome. Yeah, <laughs> moms. Yep, mom. They're the best. Well, dude, it's great to see you, and I'm, I'm I'm happy that this thing is out, and you're happy with it, and people seem to love it. So that is great. Thanks, Scott. <laughs> <laughs>